Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Hello. Good morning. Welcome to Black History Month. Yeah. Um, I have a practice of reading poetry and it's part of my spiritual practice. And I have several volumes of wonderful poetry books by black poets. And while I I read them all year, but I'm sort of specifically honing in on some of them this this month. Um, Yeah. That's how I- Yeah, you know, um, a couple of things. You're aware of the Whoopi Goldberg fiasco, right? No. What is the Whoopi Goldberg fiasco? Oh, my God. You haven't heard this. I'm oh, really she's out been of kicked it. off her show for two weeks because the subject on Monday, the subject of the Holocaust came up and she said it was not a matter, it was not a racist issue. And there were people who took such issue with her that she got kicked off the air huh? for two weeks. Well, gosh, how could it not be a racist issue? Well, I'll tell you what, Whoopi Goldberg, because I saw her interviewed by Stephen Colbert, uh-huh. she said, um, if I and a Jewish person were standing on the street and the KKK comes down the street, I'm going to run. The Jewish person's not, because the KKK doesn't see the Jewish person other than white. Uh, contextualized that, in America, that might be true. That was her point of view. Yeah, contextualized in Germany during the time of the Holocaust, that wasn't true. Um, there were posters about what a Jewish person looked like, how to identify them by their ears, their nose, their eyebrows, you know, their lips. Um, it was a very racialized, racially motivated genocide, right? But I can see that contextualized in America in the context of anti-Black racism, that a white Jewish person doesn't fit into that yeah. paradigm. You know, uh, uh, one of the things that I'm becoming more aware of over the last year to two years is how many, I'd say two years, because I've had occasion to be with extended family on uh, on occasion of a death and a funeral and that sort of thing. I've, I've, I've become aware of how many people in my relatively close circle of acquaintances are racist. And, um, I had this weird experience yesterday, Holly. I, as you know, my uh, I've had over my lifetime some extensive difficulty, inherited difficulty with retina detachment. Mm-hmm. My my brother had did, um, he had retina surgery in both of his eyes, major stuff, and then I had a retina detachment a number of years ago, and I got to this excellent. A retina surgeon whose name is Bob Butner, because in an earlier lifetime, my wife dated him. <laughs> and when I started, <clears throat> when my brother called me and said, hey, you need to get to a, a retina specialist, 
we have this inherited condition called whatever it's called. And so I went home and told Sherry that. And she said, oh, I know who to see. So we went to see Bob Butler and he told me what to expect. He gave me an exam, told me what to expect. And yes, it looks like you're on track for this retina detachment because of the quality of the vitreous in your eye. And this is what's going to happen when you when you see, when you begin to have the detachment and call me anytime, day or night. So it happened. I called him uh, and I ended up having one, two, three surgeries in that eye before he finally fixed it. Major, mm -hmm. major stuff. And retina doctors see you after major, major surgery like that every day and then every other day and then every week. I mean, at the time, I think now they've changed it because I had a retina detachment. Now that I, like, their protocol was very different. So sadly, my doctor, the third one, this in the recent history, uh, died last year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so I needed a new retina doctor. So um, I went to the person who was in the same practice, huge practice of uh, Memorial Herman I practice. And um, so I met my new retina surgeon yesterday. And this is somebody who on whose skill my continued vision depends, right? Mm -hmm. And he's black. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I mean, so first of all, highly educated. I mean, everything that Bob was, he knew Bob very well, everything. And my experience sitting there was thinking how lucky I was to have this incredibly competent man going to be my, my taking care of my vision. And at the same time, I thought about all the people I'm close to who would be so upset if he was their doctor. Because you of know? his blackness. Because of his blackness, yeah. And because of their racism. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's a great metaphor, right? You're going to an eye doctor. It's about a way of seeing. It's about a way of yeah. correcting our seeing and correcting our vision. Um, you know, one of my favorite thinkers, Teilhard de Chardin says, the whole of life lies in that one verb to see and how we see things internally, externally, consciously, unconsciously bends that proverbial arc of time. So I love the metaphor in that, reshaping your own seeing and having this experience. Mm hmm mm hmm mm hmm and it's so painful, not only to be confronted by the ways in which we've been coddled by, um, by white supremacy, um, by racism, by racist systems, but the, so not just the ways in which we realize, oh, we too have participated or been complicit in things, um, but it's painful to realize that the people we love harbor some unconscious or conscious um, racist thoughts. And mm -hmm. it's hard in that context. Those are the hardest people to call in to correction or call in to more compassion and a different way of seeing, right? Are the people that are closest to us. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the meta all day. 
But when it gets to this kind of interpersonal happening right here in our front yard, it's very hard to mm-hmm. call in. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, it just seems to me that though I try to protect myself from um, biased news sources, it's kind of hard to avoid some of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just aware that um, white racist expressions are growing. It seems to me to be more prominent in our culture instead of receding. Yeah, it certainly is. It feels like a, a surge of uh, very blatant messaging. I would venture to say, and I I was having this conversation with Josh not too terribly long ago. You remember in 1994, I believe it was when Rodney King, the beating of Rodney King was filmed by a man holding a camcorder from his porch. Mm -hmm. And, and what, and we, we saw that was for me, my first experience in seeing on television, a black man being beaten by police and for me, it was this kind of disruption of uh, innocence, disruption of that doesn't happen. Um, and then to face that actually, no, it does happen. You know, I didn't know Josh then, but fast forward 20 years and I know Josh and he's like, oh yeah, we were having those conversations. We knew it was happening. My neighborhood, my, my people, my family, we all, you know, he was schooled about how to avoid that happening to him at a very young age, you know? So So it's also, again, about a way of seeing and how we see is shaped by our experiences. And in this country, our experiences are so often shaped by our skin color, our economic status, our gender, the things that we can't change readily about ourselves. Um, So yeah, I mean, the the blinders have been ripped off. Mm -hmm. And they need to be, you know, like we've got to learn to take the eye patches off. So watch this segue. Yeah. I am so hungry for things to be different. Ah, well, let us take you into the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Hunger, the spiritual hunger that we have for more love. Really? Yeah. Just that. So you said this is your favorite story in the Bible? Uh, no, because the Jacob wrestling yeah, the angel is my favorite favorite. favorite. Story. <laughs> but this is, I love this story. Um, and it's because I have learned to see it non-literally. Thank you, sir, yeah. <laughs> um, for your, your years and years of teaching. And I remember I would get so frustrated when I just picked up the Bible and started to read it. And I actually recall something like 10 or so years ago, texting you and going, this is why I never read the Bible. (laughs) And it must not have been quite 10. I don't know if we were texting then, but, um, but, and you said, I would advise you to read something about the Bible before just diving into the Bible. right? (laughs) And, and that helps. And I think I, reading this in this sort of beautiful metaphor. Um, I just read this year and I've talked about it multiple times, the book by Padre Gautuma in the shelter. Did you complete it? I love that book. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this whole piece 
about this story. I'll tell you an influence that he, I, I, I didn't know that, I don't remember that. So I want you to share that with the yeah. people who are listening to this. But um, I, I, I read that whole book and I loved it a lot. He's just, mm -hmm. he's so good. He's, he's a yeah. wonderful poet, prayer. Um, and it, his influence on me, one of his influences on me was that I did something that cost a lot of money, relatively speaking, but I am so glad I did it. I bought a big authoritative book on etymology. Oh, cool. Because he is you. Ooh, you might have to share that resource with me. I love etymology. Because he's, he, <laughs> he, in this book over and over and over, he said, I went to my etymology dictionary and Yes. It's so it's so fun to have this yeah. resource. You can get the same thing thing from the OED online, but I don't subscribe to that and I'm not going to, I don't think. So yeah. But it's it's good to have a good etymology dictionary and to know where words come from. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, now that you say that, I did an online poetry workshop with him. And I remember him reaching back and pulling out this giant tome of etymology <laughs> and holding it to us and saying, I consult this on the regular. <laughs> Aha. I might well, I don't, I don't have that one here uh, in my office, but I have it uh, in my study above my desk on a shelf where I can reach it. And it is a really big book like the old school encyclopedias yeah. we used to have to look things up yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he just, he really expands this story, um, not just as a single story of the feeding of the 5,000, because this story is really embedded into two other moments, prayer going off and praying and the walking on the water and calming the storm. And he, he really talks about how this story invites us to take a giant step backward and hold all these possibilities of God mm -hmm. in this one, one encapsulated moment in time, if you will, right? Because in the way that the story's told, these three things happen on the same day within even hours of each other, the feeding, the praying, the calming, and I just, I love that because it really opens up. If we are talking about reimagining God, here is this magnificent, boundless way of reimagining God. God, you know, we have this chance to be spiritually fed. We have this chance to contemplate, to be alone with ourselves, to incorporate, let's say that the shadows and the lights. And then we have this chance to like be calm, to be a calming presence. Mm -hmm. And we can experience the sacred in all of those. So we can also experience the sacred in the storm itself. Well, you know, I, I, I want to connect those stories, but not so much that we get into the calming of the walking on the water and calming the sea story because I want to want to say that, but um, yeah, one of the things that I'm going to do when we do teach this Sunday is I'm going to take a cue from John Sanford, and I'm going to talk about uh -huh. two ways to misread the Bible. Yes, literally and non-literally. Well, <laughs> even the liberals, even liberal or progressive yeah. people 
who want to explain the story do it yes. as if it was a literal happening. Oh, these That's people right. gathered on the hillside and when they <clears throat> saw the young boy sharing his loaves and fishes, they brought out their food that they had taken and everybody had a great picnic. It never yeah. literally happened. So let's just right. start there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love what, what he says, what Sanford also says, and we'll get to really get into this, is this connection between, um, okay, so this, the fragmentation, right? That, that the fragmentation, not just of the personal self, that part of this is about this effort to sort of um, pull all our fragments together into this whole, but also to celebrate everybody's fragment as part of the whole. Mm -hmm. You know, this gather, this community, we are all fragments of community. And it, 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 it um, no, it's just a beautiful story. It's really rich. <laughs> and I, I think it also can be, if we are to sort of be literal minded about it, it's also about radical generosity. And, and just this idea that there is enough for everyone, that we don't have to live with scarcity. We don't have to live with, um, this hoarding mentality of I'll just keep what's mine and worry about my love, my own close circle. But if we all share just a little bit, everybody's needs are met. So if, if we move away from the storyline that Paul and Augustine gave to the early church and it's just continued throughout until the present moment that um, ended up in saying that there once was a perfect world and we fell into sin and then we lived in sin until Jesus came along and you know that that story which is not not the story that Jesus lived it's not the story that he taught it's not the Jewish story at all the Jewish story is about liberation and about freedom and so mm -hmm. part of the roots of the feeding of the 5,000 story goes back to the feeding of the children of Israel when they were on the wilderness journey with manna. And also the miracle, if you want to call them that, I will also talk to them about miracles on Sunday. The miracle cycles mm -hmm. in the uh, Hebrew scriptures, uh, which the Jewish writers took to shape the miracle stories of Jesus, the miracles appear in the Elisha and Elijah narratives. There is a story where uh, Elijah uh, goes to the woman's house and she has just enough meal and just enough oil to make little cakes for she and her son and her plan is to eat that and to die. And Elijah mm -hmm. said, no, 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 no. If you make, if you make some for me, uh, you'll be fine. And she does. And she's left with this fruit of oil and jar of meal that never exhausted. And so mm -hmm. you've got those things in the Jewish background. Yeah. And then you've got these, these followers of Jesus who after his execution and their experience over a long period of time of his spirit being with them where they experienced that was in their meal that they shared yeah 
And that meal, of course, became the second ritual of the empowering community. Uh, maybe it was the first, maybe it was before baptism, but that's hard to say. But it was the empowering meal that when we get together, we share our resources, meaning our joy, our acceptance, our forgiveness. It was not just about food. It was about real nourishment. Yes. Yeah. Something much deeper than, than the actuality of food. And yet food literally is a way that we experience communion with one another all the time. This, you know, you love to cook, right? You love to, and I think you love to cook for others at times too. So this, this sharing, sharing of the bread is something that builds community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we've been talking about this entire time with Jesus and the gospel of John is that Jesus says that community does not only have to live here inside this box we call the synagogue. It can, it is the world. Right. It, it is, it is the whole, it is the whole thing that we all live and move and have our being in every single day. And I think we've got to really learn. I, I'm, I'm exploring this kind of way of thinking that I think love has to look like three things. Um, how we define love is another topic, but love looks like love of self, love of other and love of the world. We've got to learn how to love the world in a way that our gifts, our very special piece of bread is brought forth and shared with others. I believe that. You know, I, yeah. I, I made this vow when, the, when COVID shutdown came that I was going to cook three new-to-me recipes every week. And I've, I pretty well maintained that. I've been able to do that. And I do love to cook. And so there are just two of us living in our house. And so I'll cook this elaborate meal, adapted for two, hopefully. And I'll put it on the table and Sherry will take a bite. And the highest praise I get is for her to take a bite or two and say, mm, this is company. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, meaning this is worth sharing with other people. And of course, we, yeah. we seldom have company over, but that's the high compliment. This is worth sharing with other people. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's also, I think, that the other richness of this story is about um, what's not talked about but in its absence, it's there, is what do we hoard? You know, what do we keep to ourselves that ought to be brought forth, that ought to be shared, that ought to be given freely? You know, I think there's so many ways that we hoard, whether it's resources, whether it's um, love, whether it's kindness, whether it's creativity, you know, that, and, and so much of that has comes from, I think, a hyper-focus on the individual and a fear, a fear of if I let someone else in, I might be seen. And if I am seen, that means I also have to see others to go back to our original metaphor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, we, 
when you and I got together today before we started recording, I said, I don't think I got much to say something, but I got a lot. <laughs> I, I see you keep writing things down. Are these notes? Yeah. <laughs> or just remember to get no, more I'm making notes. <laughs> yeah. You know, this would be the yeah. perfect Sunday for me to sneak in a magic trick. Oh, go for, well, you know, the miracles invite magic tricks. I'm sorry, the magic tricks that Jesus performs invite miracles from you? How do, how do we want to phrase yeah. this? <laughs> miracles beget miracles. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I do have something that I intend to bring Sunday that fits perfectly with this story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great, good. Have you, have, have you ever been to Phoenicia in Houston? <clears throat> yes the, i have the one that's way out of westheimer <coughs> isn't there also one downtown there is i've never Phoenicia been to that market. one is it okay. is it good that's the one i go to yeah yeah it's great yeah so um i go out there occasionally and get their hummus and kebabs and some other and besides i just love walking around a market it's huge and yeah yeah every time i go i think i'm gonna buy a, a, a backgammon set and a hookah. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I could see that. <laughs> when they come, they come prepared, you know, so that you can do yeah. that. When we were in Turkey, that's what we did. But anyway, they yeah. have this bread that is so huge and it's so good mm -hmm. if it's fresh because they make it every day. And yeah, um, when we think of a loaf of bread that is in the story we think of a you know little tiny loaf of bread that yeah. Jews at that time had loaves of bread that were meant for travel and they were the that's right biggest beach towels that may be yeah. an example and they literally can be folded. oh absolutely they can be yeah. folded. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so yeah yeah well I, you know I I think the more we sort of sit with this story this this miracle story the more it will kind of wash over us with amazement. So I think over the week, you're going to probably take a lot more notes on that little piece of paper. <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't remember what title I gave the Sunday. Do you? No? Okay. <laughs> oh, I wish I could say that I did. I don't. I don't remember. We'll have to go back to the announcement slides and remember. <laughs> I can do so. that. Oh, do we go? Yeah. Don't have to stick with that. I don't know how many people watch the announcement slides anyway. Although I did get an email from someone today who said, "Would you please start including the announcement slides with the online summary that you send out?" Oh, yeah, good idea. You know, I, I, I'm sort of amazed at your ability to come up with titles beforehand. I, I'm, I'm revising my abstract for my dissertation, it's really hard to write something before you've written something. I'm better at titling things after I've written it because then I know what it's about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so writing an abstract before I've written my dissertation is an interesting process. Mm. I ought to get you to do it. You can probably do it. <laughs> well, and you know, I've taught homiletics in seminary and um, what I was taught by my best homiletic teachers was that before you write a sermon, you have to be able to do a couple of things. 
you have to be able to put the sermon in one sentence. Mm. And you have to be able to say, what do you want to accomplish by giving this homily? What do you want people to do? What do you want them to know? Mm. Um, Why are you doing this? There's a lot more to it than that. But um, I usually ask um, of myself when I go hear somebody give a sermon uh, or teach a lesson. Um, Does he mean it or does she mean it? Does it matter to the person who's doing it? And so what? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, whether you and I pull off doing an adequate job or not, the so what in this particular story, well, in both of these stories that go together, the so what is we are starved for the truth in our culture. Mm-hmm. And by truth, I mean honesty and wholeness. And we need for the storms of life to calm down or develop the ability to walk on troubled waters. To weather the storm. Yeah. To be in the storm. Yeah. Yeah. I heard of. I think that's actually a big part of it. Uh, To be in the storm and be okay. Yeah. You know? I heard uh, a really good friend of mine from decades ago give a benediction at a worship service and he uh, looked out at the congregation and he said I wish you smooth sailing and calm seas if not I wish you an anchor and a compass (laughs) yeah so maybe we can provide an anchor and a compass for people yeah yeah i hope so okay we'll we'll, we'll figure it out will, we'll get there on sunday won't I'll, we well <laughs> we better figure it out before then but yes we'll have it done oh, on yeah. <laughs> okay i'll bring my compass okay <laughs> adios bye